3: And the Oscar goes to And the Oscar
0: goes and the to the Oscar goes to.
1: Chat. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my
4: dear, I don't give a damn. could have been a contender. Fasten
5: in your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna
1: make him an awful deal.
5: All real, Love is... It is... Wow. Too wow. weak a word. back. I loathe
6: you. you no,
1: I loathe you. I, I you not not love you.
5: I did as six- <laughs> instructed.
6: If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instruction.
1: This ain't reality TV! Respect it! validate it! Remember that's what you told me! It's time, Robbie!
4: Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast.
1: And the Oscar goes to Green Book.
4: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 152 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Negly at time of recording 11.03 a.m. on July 21st, 2019. We have a lot To talk about this week. I have done my absolute best to try and strip this episode down as much as humanly possible. Otherwise, it could have possibly have gone on for six hours. I don't know. But here this week, we are going to be talking a lot about Quentin Tarantino in anticipation for his new film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're gonna be talking about San Diego Comic Con and everything that Marvel announced there. We're going to be talking about some trailers, including something to do with some felines. It's going to be a blast. Here to join me this week, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Nicole Ackman.
2: Hi, friends.
4: Lauren LaMagna. Hello, hello. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. And Tom O'Brien.
1: Hey, everybody.
4: Oh, my gosh. What a stacked crowd we have. Avengers! Assemble. (laughs) So... I think we should uh, start off first and foremost with what we all caught up on this week. Let's try and uh, make this a little bit shorter than usual because, you know, there's a lot of other things we got to get to in this episode today. So we'll first pass it over to Michael. Michael, what did you see this week?
5: I saw The Lion King this past week, as I'm sure many of you did as well. And I know our reactions are pretty much all across the map, Uh, many of them probably more in the mixed range, but I was a fan of this. It's obviously not on the level of the 94 original. But I thought this was great fun, and I think the power of the story, how good it is to begin with, does a lot of the heavy lifting here. So I I had a good time with it, uh, regardless of lack of expressions in some of these characters. I think it was just nice to see it done a different way. All righty. Nicole?
2: I actually didn't get around to seeing anything this week. Um, I've just started a new job, and things have been a little bit crazy. Uh, But I'm definitely hoping to see The Lion King this coming week.
6: Josh Parham. Uh, I actually also had a light week of watching stuff uh, this time around. I really only got to see The Lion King, and we just did a podcast on it, so you can hear my full thoughts there. Wasn't really a big fan of it, but, you know, it exists, so there you go. (laughs) Lauren?
3: Um, I had a slow week, too. I didn't see The Lion King. I'm looking forward to eventually seeing it. I saw Brightburn this week. My friend just got it and wanted us to all watch it. I like the concept of Brightburn. I think it had a lot of potential, but it eventually went, you know, the cliche horror route, and I would have liked it to be a lot more complicated than that, but I'll give the concept good points.
4: All right, all right. Casey?
3: Yeah,
0: so I, not to sound like a broken record, also saw The Lion King, and I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't like it as much as Michael necessarily. There were, I felt like the entire time watching it, I would end up liking something, and I would go, oh, good, I'm starting to enjoy this, and then the movie would do something that was bad or weird or something that i just didn't like and i was like no i was on your side for this so i feel like i'm overall like maybe like a five or a six i definitely think that timon and pumbaa are probably the highlight of the movie and there's certain visuals that are stunning but as a whole i kind of felt i don't even want to say empty so much as it was like i was enjoying it while watching it and then once it was done i went well i never need to see that again so
4: okay i get you tom
1: o'brien um i also saw the lion king uh, it just reminded me how powerfully expressive the two d animation could be. I went back and saw I actually saw something on Facebook, and which someone had side by side the uh, uh, death of Mufasa and just how delicious the animation was for Scar with a big, wide grin and a you know eyes wide open and being just so cynically sarcastic. And uh, uh, this just didn't have any of that. I uh, would I would actually pay double to go see a Timon and Pumbaa movie, though. Uh, the, uh, the week was saved by The Farewell, and I'm so thrilled that this wonderful piece of humanity is in theaters right now, and I really urge everyone to see it.
4: I really urge everyone to see The Farewell as well. Is there anyone else here besides myself and Tom that has seen it? It goes wide this weekend.
2: Yeah, it opens here Thursday. Yeah, still waiting on it.
4: We will be reviewing it on the podcast, so and it expanded.
5: It uh, built on what it did opening weekend.
4: Uh, Casey, you'll be happy to hear that I saw Loose for a third time. Yay. (laughs) Never gets old. Still awesome. Still my favorite film of the year. I mean, I think it's a great piece of American cinema. I'm very, very excited for everyone else here to catch it pretty soon. Um, I also saw a film that Will saw back at AFI all the way back in December called Brian Banks, which I was not a fan of. Stars uh, Aldous Hodge, Greg Kinnear, It's, like, just your kind of typical Hallmark drama movie, honestly. Like, it was very just underwhelming across the board despite the important subject matter. And I wondered how much of that had to do with the fact that, you know, um, When They See Us uh, also uh, came out on Netflix recently and kind of dealt into some similar subject matter. And so I I just felt it was very inferior, like, across the board. Uh, Tomorrow... I will be seeing Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that is going to be a theme of discussion to start off this week's podcast. What are our thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before its premiere, its opening, and what do we ultimately think about Quentin Tarantino as a filmmaker? Are you a fan of his films? Are you not a fan of his films? Which one is your favorite? Let's pass it around. Michael, overall general thoughts
5: tarantino is one of my favorite writer directors working today you know if you go all the way back to reservoir dogs pulp fiction i think every single movie that man makes is interesting i don't think he's made a movie that shouldn't be viewed i think that, you know you want to see everything quentin, Tar- quentin tarantino does I, my personal favorites are pulp fiction glorious bastards Django unchained and i really hope this movie continues in the tradition of you know his interesting style and writing and it's just always worth checking out what he does nicole what about you uh
2: kind of to the the converse of that i'm not a huge tarantino fan um not in terms of like the fact that i dislike his work but just honestly i haven't seen that much of it obviously i love pulp fiction um as i think most people probably do um i I'll see this next one because I. I think you know the subject matter looks interesting to me, but Tarantino himself is. Pr- is not necessarily the draw for me, mm-hmm. and I think he. He just. But he just rubs me the wrong way in every interview I've ever seen with the man, uh, mm-hmm. which sometimes leaves just a bit of a bad taste in my mouth uh, towards him.
4: Yeah, I, I. typically tend to stay away from his interviews as well. I, I like listening to him talk about other people's movies. I don't like listening to him talk about his own movies. Yeah. Uh, that's that's usually like a common theme, especially like, I remember like when he won the Oscar for Django Unchained and he gets up on the stage and he's like, I write really tough dialogue and it's up to my cast to deliver it. And I'm just like, just pat yourself on the back. Why don't you?
5: He has a certain way of speaking where he loves to pat himself on the back, but at the same time, he's very gracious about everybody around him.
4: I I, I agree. Yeah. I don't know. I just wish that the guy I I understand it's like his brand. I just he does like every single thing imaginable to get people to not like him uh, because of his ego. And (laughs) like I said, when he's talking about other people's movies or he's talking about film history or, you know, something along those lines, like I'm just riveted by his enthusiasm and his knowledge. But then when he starts talking about himself and he's like, "You see, my characters wouldn't behave this way, okay? And this is why, you know, in my writing, that I'm very very and he just like, I don't know, he he like he turns me off." Yeah. Uh but I, but I love his movies, though. Yeah. I love watching his movies. Uh there's so much fun. Lauren, what about you? Where where do you line up on this?
3: I think I'm fairly new to Tarantino. I grew up Thinking, associating that Tarantino was very gory and very violent, so I was scared of him growing up. You're not off the
4: mark there. (laughs) Yeah, and then
3: my brother was like, "No, we have to. You're getting into this." So, within like the last three to five years, I've seen majority of his films, and I love it. And I think what draws me most of the movies that I love are normally written and directed by the same person. I like how those writer directors are so deeply invested in these projects and they start with it and they end with it. It's all their idea. And I think Tarantino is just one of those guys that you can tell when he is talking about his, his stories, not just him, but like his films, he's deeply invested in it. He knows exactly what's going on and he knows the film top down, left and right. And I love the worlds that he makes. They're unique. They're extravagant. They're something you can't describe, but only, only in the way of like, yeah, this is a Quentin Tarantino film. I love his characters. I love how crazy his stories go, and I you can't really predict most of them, and they're exciting for me, and it's like a weird group of films that I just I do enjoy them, and I do love how invested he is in all of his films.
4: I will give you this about that, too. Uh, his films always have the ability to surprise me. Yeah. Constantly. I, I Every time I watch them, I, I always feel like... Whenever we pay a ticket to see a Quentin Tarantino film, we are getting our money's worth, whether we like it or not. We're getting like a full course buffet in terms of, you know, these characters that have been well thought out, a a story that's been well thought out, a lot of really great technicals thrown in. Um, You're going to see dynamite performances. You're going to see a story that takes twists and turns that you definitely do not expect. There's, There's a lot of things about it that excite you as a moviegoer. Like I said, whether you like it or don't like it um, is, you know, entirely up to you. But you can't deny that when you go see a Quentin Tarantino film, you can't say that it's quote-unquote underwhelming, maybe overwhelming.
3: Yeah, you could tell <laughs> that he puts like 200% into his films from, you know, the writing to the pre-production to the actors that he chooses, the way he directs them to, you know, post-production. He is involved in everything. And you could tell he puts his blood, sweat, and tears and passion into those projects. And I respect a someone who is so passionate about every single piece that he does and the amount of time he does put into those pieces.
6: Yeah. Josh Parr. Uh Well, I am a very big Tarantino fan while also acknowledging that that relationship that I've had to his movies has been a bit up and down for me. Uh, when I was like 14 or 15, he was like my favorite director. I was loving all the stuff that he was creating. And I thought that he was just a masterful filmmaker and as I've gotten older and have been watching some of his newer films, they've been a little bit more on the mixed side to me, not not really hating them, but not really feeling like they were quite as good as his earlier stuff. And yeah, you kind of have to contend with Tarantino, the personality, too, and that's always a bit, but I still think that he is without a doubt one of the the most interesting filmmakers working today. And I look forward to anything that he has to offer. And I am also looking forward to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Although, strangely enough, I'm not really looking forward to this one like I have his other stuff. It doesn't really feel like a big event for me, like, say, Django or Hateful Eight. But I still want to see what he's going to do. I still find him to be a very interesting storyteller and... I think that's to be valued. So he can be a mixed bag sometimes, but I really find that when you get across a a Quentin Tarantino movie, that that is still something very interesting. And I think um, it's something I still really want to see.
4: I haven't read any reviews for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've only looked at the Rotten Tomatoes score and that is it. So I don't know where this next upcoming movie is taking me. And I can kind of agree with you, Josh, a little bit there. I I feel like his later films, uh, probably post-Kill Bill, have not been as tight as his previous movies. There always seems to be some extra fluff or something. Something about the pacing sometimes. I, actually, I think in Bastards, I think it's actually pretty good. Uh, I think there's a little bit of fluff in there, but you know, for the most part, uh, the pacing I think is pretty deliberate. But you know, ever since the passing of Sally Menke, uh, you know, and he brought on the new editor for uh, Django and Hateful Eight, just those those movies haven't flowed, in my opinion, as well as his uh, previous ones.
6: Yeah, I can agree with that, and I love The Hateful Late, but even I can agree that the passing of Sally Menke, I think, has left something to be desired in terms of the pacing of his movies, and I do very much miss her presence.
4: Yeah, yeah. Casey?
0: Yeah, I feel like kind of going off of what other people said, I, I really love Tarantino. Like, Lauren, I love a good writer-director. I like, the, like I like what she said about how he puts everything he has into it, and he's so passionate about it. I think what I like about him the most beyond just like how entertaining I find his films and how well crafted and like refreshing it is just, just, I feel the way I do with him and like PTA of like, ah, people who know how to make movies just on a simple level. But I love that he's just a student of film history so much. And I can like being somebody that is so passionate about that. I can see the references in all of his films and like what he's trying to pay homage to or what his influences are. And I find that really refreshing And I'm really excited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I love that era for film and music and whatnot. And I'm excited to see what he pulls out of those influences. And I just, yeah, I feel like the second it was like, oh, Tarantino's doing a story about Hollywood in this era. And I'm like, I'm in no matter what. Like, it's my most anticipated movie of the year. I'm so excited.
4: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I have to say, you know, too, in regards to like his influences, it's a lot of fun to catch some of those influences. Some things you recognize, some things are totally so obscure that only a mind like his or Martin Scorsese's would ever actually know <laughs> what it is. And I always think that that's a lot of fun with his movies. I know he gets a lot of, I know he gets a lot of criticism for taking what people have already done, putting it in hit to his movies, but I, I think he does borrow enough from the obscure obscurity of uh, the history of cinema, so much so that what, what's old feels new again. If that makes sense,
0: yeah. And also, I feel like other people, like like Todd Haynes, do that as well. So I don't, I don't knock him too much for that with the like reenacting scenes from almost from other older films. It doesn't bother yeah. me as much.
4: Todd Haynes, not Todd Phillips. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to get this down uh, this year. I promise. <laughs> with the, with both of them releasing a, a film this year, so uh, Tom, what about
1: yourself? I I'm, Matt, I'm with. Uh, I really uh, love his genre stuff. And I'm very much with Michael in terms of my favorites, which are Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards and Django Unchained. Because in each one, he really understands what the genre is and he knows how to tweak it so that the film still works, but he's doing something fresh with the form. And, uh, you know, very often it's very frustrating to see filmmakers make genre movies and they haven't a clue what has come before. And Tarantino knows he's a student of spaghetti westerns or or World War II films. And um, watching someone who is in his glory uh, recreating and tweaking those kind of genre films uh, really gets me very excited. Uh, There's a certain theatricality to him, which... I, you know, I'd like sometimes, but um, in his films, but not necessarily in his interviews. Um, The Hateful Eight, I'm maybe in a minority on this, but I think it would work better as a play um, than it would than it did for me as a movie. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, he has a a definitely unique vision. And uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood seems to be some. Somewhere between genres, and I'm just kind of I'm very interested to see um, whether he, you know, what kind of where it falls in terms of uh, his filmography and um, his already stated passions about certain genres in film. So I'm I'm like you, very excited to see it.
6: Yeah,
4: yeah, definitely excited. Uh, A little trepidatious at the same time, though, because like I said, I think he's like a filmmaker where especially like as time has gone on, it feels like he himself, I mean, I understand like his filmmaking has evolved, but his content, I don't feel like has evolved necessarily as much. And I I just feel like in this climate today, um, there's only so much I feel that, we will be able to tolerate. So it's interesting that we know that this is his ninth film. He plans on only making 10 and then he's going to retire. What do we all think about the idea that his 10th and final film could potentially be a Star Trek movie?
6: That's not going to happen. <laughs> I, yeah, I 100% that one, that movie is never going to get made. And two, that Tarantino will not stop at 10 movies. You think so? See, I disagree with half of that.
5: I don't, think that the star wars or star trek movie will be made but uh, star wars uh i don't think he's going to do the star trek movie but there's also a part of me that really believes this may be the final tarantino film we see i believe he's going to continue working but it'll be within you know maybe a play or a television series or a book Uh, i think he's really honest about when he's saying that he's done doing movies
0: no i feel the same as michael and i think that I could even see him being like somebody that does documentary films. And he's like, well, it's not counting as a feature film that I'm directing. Or, you know, something right. like that. He would. I think that Obviously. he'll like cut quarters around it. Kind of like how he's like, oh, I'm making Kill Bill one movie and counting it in there as one and not two. So, you know, I'm not. And I kind of, I don't know. Maybe because we have so many directors right now of like these older men that just keep making movies where we're like, just retire, please. Like, Clint Eastwood, I'm like, please, like, I'm begging you. <laughs> and so, like, it's kind of like a relief to just see somebody that's being like, you know, I'm good. Like, I'm d- I am feel okay about this. And I'm kind of, I know, I don't like somebody running their course and feeling, you know, comfortable with ending things when they want to, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a side of me that hopes that uh, his star of his tenth movie is Daniel Day-Lewis. And then that's- they can retire together. <laughs> yeah.
0: huh. Right off at the sunset.
4: That brings up an interesting point. If it's not Star Trek, what would be, not the story, but what genre would you like to see Tarantino tackle for his final film? And don't you dare say Western. It's been done to death.
5: <laughs> musical. Just like Spielberg's doing <laughs> it next year, I would like to see what a Tarantino musical looks like.
1: Oh, <laughs> my God. Can you imagine? But no. I-, I
4: can't, really. I can't. I'm imagining the most f bombs in the history of cinema eclipsing Wolf of Wall Street in a Tarantino musical. That's what I'm imagining it be right like now. Like
5: Mary Poppins or anything like that. Like it could totally do. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> style here. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like
5: yeah, I, I want to see the guy obviously knows and loves his musical cues. So let's see what he has to do with them in a full. Well, I, I
4: I can't imagine it being a musical, but I could imagine it being like a baby driver type of. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I could see that where music is very integral to the plot and it weaves its way into the editing and the, the sequences feel like musical numbers, even though there is no singing and dancing.
1: I could I could see a Tarantino musical being something like New York, New York. Oh. Yeah, absolutely.
4: It would be interesting to see which movies he draws upon for inspiration for that sort of thing. Uh, me personally, I have always wanted to see what a medieval uh, like history epic set during the time of the crusades. So that like Tarantino could like tackle controversial topics such as like religion and somehow tie that into like modern day uh, religious matters. Like I've always wanted to see what that would look like. Plus, You know, with the brutality and the carnage and like everything that goes into those types of movies, it would be very interesting to see what kind of characters he could come up with, too.
5: You know, when you look at movies related to themes like that, you know what Tarantino's favorite probably is? Was that? He's probably the biggest fan of like the Inquisition number from History of the World Part One.
3: (laughs) 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 That's probably right in
5: his wheelhouse. Anyone else?
3: I like how Tarantino like plays with history a lot. So I loved, you know, Inglourious Basterds. I'm excited for, you know, this with Once Upon a Time. So I'm kind of really on board with going like really into the past with either like medieval or, you know, pre-colonial times and just to see like really intense action and to see what he does in that type of environment, in that type of world, because he hasn't really gone there. And I kind of am now really intrigued by that idea.
6: Didn't Tarantino say something at one point that he had an idea for a 30s gangster movie? Did, didn't I hear that at one point? I don't remember hearing that. I don't know. Mm. No. Yeah, that sounds Wouldn't surprise right. me, though. Yeah. I, right now, I yeah. I thought I remembered hearing like a rumor that that was something he was working on at one point. So that might be an interesting world for him to tackle.
4: What if he did a black and white gangster, like, you know... Noir style And it's like truly Truly something that like Really harkens back You know like the fact that it would be all shot in black and white For example you know what I mean
0: I'd love yeah. that yeah. I'd see
4: I would totally be down for something like
1: that Yeah Hi guys, I'm Dean and I'm Daniel and we're from the IMDb Journey podcast
5: where we break down every movie from the top 250 list giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way.
1: But when we're not doing that we also battle other podcasts in various movie related games of trivia and drafts. We also give quick reviews
5: about every other film we've watched as well. Yeah, here we're quite good too. Yeah, if you guys don't believe us, why don't you listen to these genuine testimonies?
6: Oh, hey guys, you guys are really good. I love your chemistry.
5: Oh, hey, brew. It's, uh, this is a this is a good podcast, yo. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, love the banter, guys. Keep it up. I'm DB Jenny it is one of my favorite podcasts of all time.
4: <laughs> ah, fantastic testimonies. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely genuine and real.
5: <laughs> and if you want to give a genuine testimony as well, go ahead and search for IMDb Journey. You can find us on all your favourite podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. So come along and
4: join our journey. So this week's poll, we are asking everybody over at MBP, which is their favourite Quentin Tarantino film? Michael? We're going to start off with you. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Okay. Who else? Pulp Fiction, show of hands? Yep. Me. Tom. Yep. Jesus, anyone not saying
6: Pulp Fiction? Uh,
3: I'm, I'm not a, saying Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm a huge Kill Bill fan.
6: Okay. Uh, for me, I love Jackie Brown. That is, And that's a movie that initially I liked but didn't love. But as I've gotten older, I just appreciate the character work in that film so much. And... Pam Greer in that film is absolutely amazing. I love that film.
0: Josh, I saw that for the first time this week on the big screen, and I I echo those sentiments. And I think that a lot of people should give that one another chance.
4: It's easily his most underrated film by far. I think it's his most
6: mature film, to be honest with you. Like, all the rest of his stuff has like the very flashy dialogue and big set pieces. This is kind of quiet. And I think that's the reason why I love it so much.
1: Mm. Yeah. And and it really shows off one of the best things about Tarantino is he appreciates really good actors who have begun to fall down in their careers, and he casts them in in wonderful parts like Pam Grier and John Travolta and Robert Forster. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just kind of resurrects careers of people who who really have more to give.
3: Yeah, I'm going to echo on that, especially with Kill Bill with. You know, what stands out for me was Daryl Hannah and Kill Bill, too, especially, because I remember watching that, and I only saw her in, I think, Splash from the 80s, so seeing that and seeing this type of character was completely crazy, seeing her play these totally different sides of the spectrum, and I think Tarantino pairs really strong characters with really strong character actors, which I think is the key with these types of films. And it just shows once he really invests with these types of actors that we have not have seen in a while, but like he knows that they can do something amazing with these types of characters. That's where you really show how great they are.
4: Yeah. I will say that I think that Pulp Fiction has always been my favorite Quentin Tarantino film, as you know, as, as you do. However, time has been very, very kind for me. To Inglorious Bastards, and I think Bastards might be, objectively speaking, not subjectively. I think it's his best.
3: It's a close second for me. I love the time period of Inglorious Bastards. I love the characters in that film. And I love this the story of it. It's an I'm always I'm entertained entirely. I'm not bored throughout, and I'm I just love every minute of it. It's a really fun, entertaining ride, and it does get better. Every time I do see it and the older I get, I get more out of it. It's just, it's intelligent, but it's still fun for me.
4: And it's also fun too, to see the actors in that movie at the time, not knowing who Daniel Bruhl would go on to be. Michael Fassbender or Christoph Waltz, for that matter. And you're watching this, and you're, you know, at the time, oh, Melanie Laurent, too, especially. Like, it's like, you watch this for the first time, and you don't really know who some of these people are. Maybe you do, uh, but for the most part, I don't think many of us did. And to look back now, it just feels so star-studded now, looking yeah. back on it. I still don't like uh, Eli Roth, though. He's he's a sore point of that movie for me.
5: Oh, and what about uh, Mike Myers?
4: Oh. Uh, that was distracting. Yeah. But, you know, I can I can live with it up in here. All right. Last week's poll results. Which of these Disney animated films did you want to see a live action remake of? Some of these are in production already. Some of them are not going over the list here. The number one voted Disney animated film that people want to see a live action remake of. I got a lot of people that said they don't want to see. All right. A live action remake. I get that, people. I get that. But let's let's call it spade a spade here. This is happening. (laughs) <laughs> Whether you wanted to or not. So let's just roll with the punches, shall we? Uh, number one, 36 votes. Hunchback in Notre Dame in yeah. first place.
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> Alright, in second place, 25 votes. We have Hercules. Which I don't know. That would be that would be I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about that actually, to tell the truth. Uh, third place was actually the other category. And as I look through the options here, a large majority of them are the answer, none. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> damn,
4: yeah, well, uh, fourth place uh, or third place. Let's 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 get rid of over here and let's just let's go back to third place. Third place with nineteen votes is Treasure Planet. Yes. Mm, That's the one I voted for. Fourth place, eighteen votes, one vote less than Treasure Planet is Atlantis, the Lost Empire.
2: Did y'all see people fan casting Tom Holland in that? Because I'm suddenly completely on board.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then rounding things out in fifth place with 16 votes is Pocahontas.
5: Mm. Okay. People mm. yeah. really want to see Pocahontas.
4: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, my response to that is Watch the New World by Terrence Malick. But, you
5: know, <laughs> I would I mean,
3: Pocahontas ask. has a
5: great song but I think the movie itself is sort of a little weak.
2: Yeah.
3: It would have to go the Mulan route if it would ever become like a big film. Like it would have to be expanded on a lot more than what it is. Cause it's a very, I remember being very short and again, not having a lot going on in it.
2: I feel like Hunchback is like a Hunchback live action remake could kind of prove the point of these live action remakes. Like go back to some of the source material of the Victor Hugo novel, really have a place for it to, it's a really dark film and have a place for that darkness a bit more. Um, I I would be so thrilled.
4: So speaking of being thrilled, San Diego Comic-Con is happening right now as we speak. <laughs> we received a lot of trailers this week. Some of them we are not going to go over on the show. I'll get those out of the way really quick. Uh, we're not going to talk about it, Chapter Two. We've already done uh, an episode where we talked about that. We're not going to talk about Jay and uh, Silent Bob reboot, whatever the hell it's called. Sorry, not doing that one. And there were a few others as well. But one that we are going to talk about here, there was a trailer for something. And it's one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies too. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Type in Quentin Tarantino and Top Gun on YouTube and listen to his explanation for uh, that first film. It is quite hysterical. This is the trailer for Top Gun Maverick, starring, you guessed it, Mr. Tom Cruise.
1: Let's take a look. 30 plus years of service. Combat medals, citations, Only man to shoot down three enemy planes in the last 40 years. Yet you can't get a promotion. You won't retire. Despite your best efforts, you refuse to die. You should be at least a two-star admiral by now. Yet here you are, Captain. What is that? It's one of life's mysteries, sir. Is inevitable, Maverick. You kind of set it for extinction. Maybe so, sir. But not today.
4: So then it is Tom Cruise flying the plane, right? <laughs> With the camera on top of the plane. Like, that's gonna be like an unbroken shot, right? <laughs>
3: Probably. I mean that's what they're gonna say.
4: They cut to that like multiple times, and I was like, man, that that that's Tom. That is Tom flying the freaking plane. <laughs>
3: That's the money
1: shot in the trailer.
4: Jesus. Um, You know, it's interesting because at my previous job that I was working at, um, there was a really, really big deal uh, when I met Claudio Miranda, the cinematographer for this. Uh, He's the um, Academy Award winner for Life of uh, Pi, shot Benjamin Button, a few other things. They're using some really, really innovative uh, large format camera technology to shoot this in. And I can tell you all right now, um, and if the trailer wasn't an indication... This is going to look absolutely incredible in IMAX.
6: Yeah, yeah. you could definitely get that from the trailer. And I got to be honest with you, I, I really wasn't that interested in a Top Gun sequel. I liked the first film, but not enough to really see it again in a continuation. But this trailer actually did a lot to kind of sell me on the idea. And I think it really comes down to those visuals, which... Yeah, you're right, Matt. Just imagining what that'll look like in IMAX just seems already breathtaking to me.
4: And then you got, of course, uh, Val Kilmer returning along with Tom. Uh, Ed Harris, who's always a welcome presence uh, in any movie, I feel like. Then you have a young cast of uh, characters. You got Miles Teller uh, playing the lead. Glenn Powell, who uh, has quickly become a favorite amongst uh, film Twitter and the likes. Uh, Jennifer Connelly shows up in this one. And John Hamm. So, pretty stacked cast overall. And, I don't know, do you, like, someone here, tell me, have you all seen Joseph uh, Kaczynski's other films? Um, that would be uh, the Tron Legacy, Oblivion, and Only the Brave. Has anyone here seen those? None of them, no. no,
6: no. I haven't seen Only the Brave, but I did see Tron Legacy and Oblivion. And they are movies that visually look very interesting, but the story doesn't really get you really invested i'll admit that but he is a very interesting a visual filmmaker and you know i i don't know if this new top gun is really going to have that great of a story to be honest with you just judging by this trailer i almost get the feeling they're going to just rehash the first movie again but i don't know sometimes you just need some good visuals and maybe that's all this movie will really need
4: No, it's very true that uh, he is a very, very visual filmmaker. I myself wasn't a fan of Tron Legacy. Oblivion I thought was better, but it wasn't quite what I was, you know, hoping it could be from its potential. Only the Brave was good. Like, Only the Brave is a pretty solid movie.
3: Yeah, I Mm. saw that. Uh,
4: That's a very, very just serious drama uh, about a group of... um, Elite firefighters, who uh, a true story, uh, uh, tragically, uh, 19 out of 20 of them ended up uh, perishing in a forest fire. Miles Teller is the only one who survives the uh, the film, and it's a, it's a really it's a it's a good movie. Um, I I would highly recommend it uh, on streaming if you get a chance just to see uh, his work and what he's able to do with Claudio Miranda as a cinematographer. It gave me confidence when I heard that he was doing this. Um, I remember thinking, yeah, that's a good choice. Uh, he'll be he'll be pretty good for this material. And I think the trailer displays that. Although, did anyone else feel like there was a missed opportunity to use the song "Danger Zone" in this oh, yeah. trailer? Oh,
6: yeah. obviously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like this is gonna like take away some of the fun from the original Top Gun. Like, it's got to be more serious. Like, we're in serious mm. action movies now, and I'm and I'm kind There's of just no like no volleyball
5: scene. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I didn't see any of that. I didn't see uh, John Hamm in the volleyball scene, so uh, you know. Didn't sell me on that, but... <laughs>
5: we do know
4: that the song will be used in the movie, and we also know that uh, Hans Zimmer is uh, doing the score
5: as well, so...
0: Okay, that intrigues me. Yeah. There, there's something.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: I'm eager to see it, and I've actually never seen Top Gun, so uh, this is going to be the movie that gets me to finally watch that.
6: It's a fun movie. I, yeah. I would say, yeah, Michael,
4: I would say watch it, and then I'm telling you, watch Quentin Tarantino's uh, dissection of Top Gun right afterwards. I <laughs> promise you it is it recontextualizes the whole movie. <laughs> you
5: know, Matt Casey and I were looking at this list that I put together yesterday of movies I would like to catch up with at some point, And Top Gun was buried somewhere in there. So I think it's going to be very soon, at least before this one opens next June.
4: Yep. Yep. So sticking with uh, San Diego Comic Con. Lots of things happening over there. We had a Game of Thrones panel that D&D, the creators didn't show up for. Uh, Speaking of which, Emmy nominations also were announced uh, this past week, which we will cover on the Next Best Series podcast. Uh, We had trailers for everything trying to be the next Game of Thrones, it seemed like. We had The Witcher. We had Watchmen. We had a new trailer for Westworld. We had uh, His Dark Materials. And then, like, it seemed that everybody was kind of just like, okay, this is good. This is good. But when is Marvel (laughs) Going to announce something. Let's hear what Marvel and Kevin Feige have to say. And boy, oh boy, did they have a lot to say. I am going to go down the list here of all the projects that they announced during their panel. And you, you tell me, all right, your thoughts as they come up. If there's no thoughts, there's no thoughts. But if you have thoughts, feel free to say them. So May 1st, 2020, we're getting the Black Widow movie. Footage was shown. It supposedly takes place in Budapest, no surprise there. Florence Pugh, David Harbour. Supposedly there was some fight scenes that people described as being very much like uh, the Bourne movies.
3: I am so incredibly excited for this movie. Um, Natasha is my favorite character in Marvel. I love this character. I've been wanting to see her world for, I want to say, the last six years since The Winter Soldier. And I'm really excited that Marvel is, A, telling her story... And be telling a really gritty story. I like how the reactions after the footage is very, you know, Jason Bourne, Mission Impossible style. And I do know that the stunt team is also the stunt team from the John Wick series. So to get this really gritty hand-to-hand combat with, you know, what seems like to be Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh really getting at it is really exciting. I'm like, I want to see this dark, gritty hand-to-hand combat, just grounded in a world that is this character and i really am excited to see where they take her and where she goes and i love david harbor i'm so excited that he's in the marvel world too and i love this director it's directed by this woman named kate shortland
2: mm-hmm.
0: who
3: loves to dis- who loves to show the shadows of humanity and not and our dark side and i think that fits natasha and it fits the character of black widow and i'm just i'm so excited to see her world in this really gritty dirty way
4: and let's also not forget rachel vice is also part of the cast too i love it hell yeah this
3: This is is a great cast and yeah and she's a black widow and florence Pugh is a black widow and i'm excited to see all of these russians in the marvel world kind of and see their again their world and what they got to do
2: this cast is just phenomenal Mm -hmm.
4: speaking of very phenomenal casts then we have eternals My God. Yeah. (laughs) This is directed by Chloe Zhao, who did The Writer. This cast includes... Okay, take a deep breath now. Angelina Jolie, Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Lauren Ridloff, Brian Tyree Henry, Salma Hayek, Leah McHugh, Don Lee. It's
1: crazy. That
6: that is great. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a big MCU person. So most of what they announced, I am very indifferent towards this is one of the few that did catch my attention. And I mean, it's probably not.
4: Because of Richard Madden,
2: yeah, maybe. That's a big, <laughs> but, you know, I thought of you, Josh.
6: <laughs> yeah, exactly, But you know, directed by Chloe Zhao, the writer was one of my favorite movies last year. I'm glad that she's getting an opportunity to make something on a big scale. So I'm not invested in too much of their slate, but this is definitely one that I really do want to check out. If for only that cast and the director.
4: Well, and one of the things too, that they really highlighted a lot amongst the panel was uh, the diversity. Mm-hmm. And I think that really, really came across here in the announcement of phase four is that they're really, really pushing forward with very exciting uh, filmmakers, really exciting, diverse casts uh, with a lot of people that we're all fans of. Um, it, 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 I, I think it's going to usher in not so much what we were accustomed to uh, with the typical you know, straight white male superhero film of like the Captain Americas or the Thors and stuff like that. But we'll get some new types of storytelling. Um, and, and that that really excites me. I am
2: so, yeah, yeah I'm so thrilled to see not just diverse casts. And, and I will say, I'm so excited to see, you know, Selma Hayek, and I don't want to call her old, but an older woman playing a superhero is so important, I think, because typically a woman of that age gets relegated to like, you could be the superhero's mom. But also <laughs> to see like, a diverse group of directors as well. I think that that's so important, um, that you're not just kind of doing the showy, diverse casting, but also actually employing diverse directors and female directors. And I'm so thrilled for this next phase of the MCU just because of that.
3: Yeah, we have two movies coming in 2020 for the MCU, and both of those are directed by women. And I think um, it's exciting to see these two women who we know from like the independent film world and we love and to see them get this opportunity that and to tell these stories that are both led by two women themselves. So I'm excited to see those two things come through fruition. Through
4: Keeping up uh, in terms of the 2020 film slate, it also extends over to Disney Plus as well. So they announced a couple of new series Uh, that will be coming out. Uh, First up was The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's supposed to be only six episodes, from what I understand. Um, And apparently it's going to also feature the return of uh, Zemo uh, that was played by Daniel Brühl. They had a a big kind of a teaser with that at the uh, panel. But I'm really, really happy to see that Anthony Mackie's uh, character, Falcon, and Sebastian Stan's uh, Bucky Barnes will be able to get to do something in a post-Captain America world now that Chris Evans has decided to uh, step away onto new projects. And I'm really, really excited to see these two actors kind of have their moment uh, because they've always been kind of regulated, I feel like, to the sidelines to a certain extent um, in his movies. So that's exciting. I wish it was a movie instead of Happening on the streaming platform, but they are really, really committed to obviously getting people to subscribe because uh, they've also said that this will all kind of tie in as well. So now you don't just have to go to the movie theater to see 21 plus movies. You also have to subscribe to Disney Plus and get the full story of everything and see how it all kind of crisscrosses. So,
2: I mean, <laughs> hey, they said... Falcon and Winter Soldier TV series. And I said, so when can I uh, sign up for Disney Plus? <laughs> but I'm really hoping that if this is successful, then that means that we, you know, in the next phase, we'll be getting Captain America films with Anthony Mackie.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sticking with that, they also announced One uh, Division as a new series, uh, a Loki series still Hell with Tom yeah. Hiddleston.
2: Hell yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: he will apparently still be evil because this will take place uh, post-Endgame, so it's like an alternative um, timeline for him. Uh, they announced a animated series that's going to be uh, narrated by Jeffrey Wright called What If, and it's actually supposed to be an animated version of What If... Certain storylines didn't go the way that you expected in the movies, and it's like kind of this alternate timeline reality thing. And apparently, all the voice that, um, all the actors that play the characters in the real life uh, films are going to be providing the voices too. So
2: I had heard that um, beforehand. They had said that one of the episodes, Haley Atwell, will be returning to. Uh, kind of explore the idea of what if Peggy Carter had been the one to take the super serum. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like one of the most thrilling things that we could see on Disney Plus. So I'm so excited for this What If series.
4: And then the last thing they also announced for Disney Plus was uh, a Hawkeye series with Kate Bishop, a character that's uh, very, very popular uh, from the comics that will also be integrated with uh, Jeremy Renner's uh, Clint Barton. Uh, I don't believe we know who's playing Kate Bishop yet. Unless if it is the girl that played his daughter in Endgame? In I, I don't know. I'm a little confused. Yeah. No,
3: they're still looking for her. Um, okay. Yeah.
4: All right. So we'll, we'll see where that goes from there. Um, once again, excited to see Jeremy Renner get something to do. Uh, another character that I feel like has been kind of regulated to the sidelines a little bit in favor of some of the more popular characters. And these are going to be quick series from what I can see here. Six to eight episodes, you know, in and out. Uh, I think that's a uh, very, very healthy and not to mention too, you know, one of my biggest problems with uh, the the Netflix Marvel series was that they always felt very long to me. Like 13 hour long episodes just felt like too much for some of these stories.
5: Well, have they said how long these are going to be?
4: Like six episodes. So
5: in length, like how long is each one going to be? Well,
4: we don't know that yet because they haven't announced, uh, ep- you know, they, they we're not that far yet into the process.
3: Yeah, I think there's only one show.
5: It
3: episodes.
4: On. <laughs> well, maybe, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. And then uh, c- circling back over to the movies then. Uh so after Eternals, February 12, 2021, Destin Daniel Cretton I'm going to memorize this guy's name this year because he has a movie coming out called Just Mercy, which we found out is now being scheduled to be released by Warner Brothers on December 25th for an Oscar qualifying run for Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Brie Larson, and a slew of others. So more to come on that. He is doing uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. This one is going to feature Tony Leung as the real Mandarin this time, not the Ben Kingsley Mandarin. (laughs) And Saimu Liu uh, was also cast uh, apparently in two days uh, from what I uh, overheard as a major, major role. And so I don't know much else about this. I'm not really a big comic person, so I don't really know uh, much about this character. So maybe somebody can comment and shed some light on this for me.
5: Not, Not that I know anything about the character, but as they were announcing this whole slate yesterday, this was one that jumped out to me because, you know, look, I've long been the Marvel Cinematic Universe cynic on the Next Best Picture team. But I think now that we're in this post-Avengers, post-Endgame world, they're bringing out some of the big guns here. Like, you have your Dustin Daniel Cressions and your Chloe Gels and, you know, all these bigger names who are coming from more prestigious territory. And I think their presence here is really piquing, at least my interest, I hope other people's interest as well, because it looks like they're really moving in a new direction, and they're going... I don't know if Marvel will ever be tour based but it seems like this is the closest they're... They've ever come to it.
4: Well, yeah. I don't know. I would challenge you on that. I'm sorry, uh, only because, like, what do you say to end the Taika Waititi, Ryan Kugler?
5: Well, they've been getting there, but I think we're at a place now where it just seems more apparent. You know, we've come a long way from nothing against John Favreau, but the John Favreau years and the Alan, uh, what's his name, Alan Taylor years.
4: And don't forget Kenneth Brana.
5: Kenneth Branagh, you know, and that's the thing. Someone like Kenneth Branagh, who has, like, artistic vision and some of his other films. Don't forget
4: Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck, who did Captain Marvel. So
5: watered down in what they were doing with Marvel, that I think we're going to see these people come in and be able to do what Ryan Coogler and Taika Waititi did. So it's really interesting to me that now that we're in—they call it Phase 4, I think, but it really feels like a whole new world. Like, it feels like we're stopping everything after Endgame and continuing down what looks like a far more interesting path, in my opinion.
4: Well, that's going to end, because uh, there are some things that they did not announce uh, that will continue. So Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2, Fantastic Four. just seems like they
5: were sprinkled in, rather than the whole core of what they used to be.
4: Well, they didn't even really talk about
5: this, really. Uh, Kevin
4: Feige kind of played a little tongue-in-cheek and was like, we don't have time to talk about mutants, and we don't have time to talk about this and that, you know? Uh, But continuing on here... Uh, they announced the Doctor Strange sequel called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That is... A, th- that That's an awesome title.
2: <laughs> um, and it's apparently going to be like our first actual MCU horror film. Is that what I've heard? Like the, yes. They yeah. said it will be scary.
4: <laughs> uh, it will still be PG-13. But yes, I, I've heard that uh, they said during the panel that it will be indeed scary as well. So that's interesting too because I think Doctor Strange... Has the ability to conjure up such nightmarish imagery to be able to pull that kind of stuff off, so that's uh, pretty exciting. And then uh, I mentioned Taika Waititi before. Uh, Thor: Love and Thunder, November fifth, twenty twenty one, with Natalie Portman playing female it. Thor.
3: Wow! I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I can't believe she decided to come back. I really don't yeah. understand how it happened. One, well, yes. Well, Marvel added another. Four. Marvel
0: added another. Logo's uh... So great. I'm sorry. Let me just. That is like the best of the logos I've seen. Like conjuring up that like He-Man kind of vibe.
2: I love it.
6: Josh, what were you gonna say?
2: Yeah.
6: Oh, I was just gonna make a joke. Never mind. <laughs> we can...
2: Also, Tessa Thompson confirming that Valkyrie, they'll actually be exploring the fact that she is a LGBT character. Like that's very exciting when she was like as a king she needs to find her queen i was like here we go i can't wait to have a new favorite marvel movie
4: <laughs> there was another thing too i forgot to mention before about the uh the Eternals um is that it will feature um marvel's first deaf character and the uh actor that is uh playing that character is also deaf as well
1: excellent
3: and also with the eternals kevin feige also said for um the. Also, is going to be more LGBT characters and films that he just announced. And one of those big rumors is Icarus from Eternals, which will be played by Richard Madden. So I'm excited to see if that's also a route that they decide to go with Eternals, especially since that would be before Thor. So if we get like this bisexual Valkyrie and then this gay Eternal, and that would just be the coolest thing ever.
4: Somebody check on Josh Parr. Hey, yeah, I'm I love
3: sorry. New Thor I,
6: I I lost consciousness for there for just a minute after he said (laughs) said, Richard Madden will play a gay character. I'm sorry about that.
4: (laughs) We'll have uh, Rocketman, we'll have Eternals, and then we'll have another one. It'll be the Richard Madden gay trilogy.
5: (laughs) You're you're leading in a trilogy called What, Matt?
4: (laughs) What what one? Sorry, what? This door. What's
5: the official title of it?
4: I said it before. It's called Door, Love, and Thunder.
5: Okay, that's very interesting, because Natalie Portman directed A Tale of Love and Darkness. So that's... <laughs> kinda...
4: oh, when Michael tries to make jokes. When Michael tries <laughs> to make jokes. Uh, this is interesting note from a standpoint of Taika Waititi has been very closely tied to Akira, and I guess that this was being developed simultaneously at the same time, and with reports coming out that Akira is kind of falling through, I guess that we'll be able to pick this up, and uh, this will be... When is this coming out? November 5th, 2021. So, uh, pretty interesting. Also, too, I mean, you know, like they said, they didn't talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, but it's heavily rumored that Thor will somehow be involved in that. But the big bombshell came at the very, very end of the presentation, where Kevin Feige, in a Steve Jobs manner, had one last thing (laughs) that he wanted to surprise the audience with. And he announced to the stage two-time Academy Award winner, Mahershala Ali, and I immediately leaned forward, eyes wide, and I was like, okay, he was in a Luke Cage before. What's going on? And then they announced Blade. Wow. My jaw hit the ground. I could not think of better casting than Mahershala Ali playing that character in Kevin Feige's version of that character. You know what I mean? Like, this was just, this was like too much. I mean... I, and it was it was a fascinating panel too because I think it was the most surprises that they've ever had at a panel before.
1: But I yeah. That, that was that was the biggest one. I, I gotta say, I my jaw dropped too because I'm yeah. not a Blade fan. I, I I'm not quite sure that the uh, first two were good. Play. Yeah. But uh, it'll be very interesting because Blade is really a hard R territory. Yeah. And see whether they can mm. dial it back to still have the same feeling um for a pg-13 or are they going to go r and go through fox
4: i don't know not now that they're with uh disney like this i i highly doubt it
5: yeah so apparently mahershala went for this after he won his second oscar for green book he went to kevin feige's office and like requested the film in the part
4: i mean when you have now two academy awards to your name you can pretty much demand i think anything <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't blame mahershala if you want some of that uh notoriety and that MCU money. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying that that's why he's doing it. I think, like I said, the character of Eric Brooks, uh, Blade, is one that I think any actor would be excited to play.
5: Now, I'm not familiar with Blade from the comics or the previous movie, but does he happen to have an Italian-American driver? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <sighs>
5: I know just the guy. <laughs> if you want to make
4: annoying oscar jokes that's going to anger film twitter is our next segment definitely for you michael we have a trailer to talk about
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh no here we go
4: directed by tom hooper we had our first trailer for cats let's take a look at this one shall we
1: if you find there the meaning of what happened
4: this then I
5: I think we need to start with the prelude that this trailer was uh, you know, the result of a behind-the-scenes footage clip that we saw on Wednesday. So they were setting up the trailer with this clip of Jennifer Hudson and Taylor Swift and Judy Dench all talking about their relationship to Cats the musical.
2: When that thing starts with Jennifer Hudson being like, "Listen, I grew up singing in church," and I was like, "Where the hell is this going?" Like- it was
5: like a Christopher Guest mockumentary. Yeah. Like if that had been oh. something on Saturday Night Live, I would have thought it was hysterical. Listen, I am the, the way they were talking. Cats. It was like Jennifer Hudson saying, "When I found out, I was going to be in a Cats." Like someone made this decision for her.
2: I like, love how 100% serious they all are in that thing. Like, the best thing about this Cats movie is how everyone in it seems to be t- taking it completely unironically. <laughs>
5: and James Gordon says, only somebody like Tom Hooper could have this vision.
4: <laughs> really? Because it looks unlike any other Tom Hooper movie I've seen
5: before.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you mean so that there are not is, too many close-ups? <laughs> they're giving their
5: stories. Judy Dench has this whole backstory about how she was supposed to be in a production of Cats and... Broke her Achilles tendon and wasn't the able to original do it. The now she's Yeah. Yes, yeah, the original production. So everyone's here. Everyone's on board. But they didn't show us what the cats looked like. It was just everybody talking about, you're not going to believe this. It's going to be a game changer. Wow. Well, oh, my God. Let's see what's going to happen tomorrow when the trailer drops. And then the trailer dropped. Oh,
4: did uh, it drop? All right. Oh, and then our jaws dropped. Like the
5: <laughs> <year>. <laughs> and I don't know about where all of you were has happening. But they gave us a little warning, like working title on Twitter said, like, can't let the cat out of the bag, wait 15 minutes. And, like, once we saw that, I think we all just sort of stood still waiting for this to happen. I was about to leave work, and I decided to stay just to see this because I knew the discourse would be too good to miss. Mm. And it dropped. And we all, I think, watched it at the same time.
2: Yeah, um, I actually I like was in the middle of stuff and I like couldn't watch it until like later that night. So seeing everyone's discourse and I kept being like, all right, like maybe it's not as bad as everyone's saying it is like people are probably just overreacting and like, oh, boy, uh, I'm not sure people are reacting strongly enough. Once they saw it. <laughs> That's really funny.
4: I have a couple of different issues here. Um, one is that after kind of coming off of The Lion King very recently about things like the Uncanny Valley and a too much of a heavy reliance on CGI with no human component to try to like really kind of pull you in into the story. Here we have fully CGI motion capture uh, performances of these actors, uh, singers, dancers uh, playing two legged walking cats.
0: With hands.
2: With human hands. Human yeah.
4: hands. And I. I have to say I was very disappointed. I was very disappointed that this was not the kind of direction that I anticipated this was going to go in. For example, I was thinking that they were going to do uh, realistic costumes that when you capture it in camera, there is a degree of believability to it, and then uh, the C- there'd be some CGI in the faces. Obviously, the tails would have to be CGI and things like that. Uh, maybe the actors are wearing a little bit of makeup that can also translate, maybe just a little bit.
5: Things like that. that, that. going to happen. Will Navidia told us this about a year ago.
4: Yeah, I, do you think I remember anything that Will says from a year ago as a <laughs> little blip? You know, I, I, I just. Ah man, I was very disappointed by this because I don't understand why everybody thinks that this is the way to go in order to suck in an audience into your story.
3: What you gotta thing- know is that this wasn't supposed to be when cats was supposed to come out. This was this day was originally supposed to be for the Wicked movie, but that keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, so they decided to replace Cats with Wicked. And They just probably didn't have enough time, I guess, to get such an accurate portrayal of it. And I just don't see this piece of theater translating well into the medium of film. It's just it's too poetic and it's too abstract and it's too much about suspending your own disbelief and putting your own interpretation on the piece in order for it to, I think, accurately translate to a basic story on film for me. I just don't see it happening. I was always worried about it. And I think seeing the trailer just confirmed of, I just don't think everything should be in the medium of film. And I don't think the story fits it. I would agree a hundred percent. And truly my favorite thing is just the fact that like, whenever
2: you see cats on stage and these actors are in this like incredible makeup and these fur like costumes and stuff somehow that looks more like cats than whatever this cgi is yeah Yeah, exactly
5: (laughs) the the thing about cats the musical is that it's the type of thing that if you're really you know immersed in broadway in the theater you know that cats is this amazing technological achievement and what the actors are doing on stage that's all great but the show itself is not some great piece of art it's The people who love cats are like the tourists who only see one Broadway show. I would you know, you disagree re- with
2: that. I think there's a lot of people who really love cats who are dance people. Yeah, that's cats. Was yeah, an it's a dance. Important.
5: I'm dance talking about like the book itself and the overall you know, I, nature of it.
2: I do think that Cats, though, in some ways, help pioneer the song cycle show, and the fact that like Cats has no plot. And I think that's what worries me about this movie is that like I think they're trying to force a plot where there mm-hmm. is none, and. Cats only works because there's no plot, because it's based on a set of poems, and, like, it's all just this, like, conceptual dance show thing, and I feel like they're trying to make it into a proper musical, and Cats will never work as a proper musical.
4: This feels like it's destined to fail because of that. I I looked up the plot after I realized I couldn't figure out what the plot was from the trailer, and... I couldn't understand the plot when I read the plot.
2: There is no plot. The whole Exactly. So
4: how in God's name does anyone think that this is going to translate into an emotional resonating story that is actually going to garner good reviews that will lead this as an awards uh, contender? No, this has a Razzie's written all over it.
5: But it's going to make about $600 million worldwide.
4: Oh my God, please stop. There's
5: no way this is going to make that much. Everyone who saw the show, everyone who went. To see the greatest showman and watches that over again. Everyone who sees Hugh Jackman at the Hollywood Bowl, they are going to be here over Christmas, seeing it multiple times. I guarantee it. This is going to be one of the highest grossing movie musicals ever made.
2: I also think that there are going to be a lot of people, myself included, who I'm like, I think this looks like a train wreck. I can't wait to go opening night. Yeah. Like, you know,
0: everyone's seen this trailer and everybody's like, I have to see how weird this is.
1: Yeah. I don't know whether people are going to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm. I I just wonder what it's like in the universal boardroom now I have never (laughs) I've never seen a trailer get such incredibly negative reaction and they're stuck with it now it's not like they could they could change you know bring Sonic the Hedgehog and change how he looks they're stuck with this how do you sell it Mm -hmm. I have no idea and so I, it I, like I, a I, I hope you're wrong. I, I really do think that um, the the reviews will count somewhat, but they don't seem to be working for you know against Lion King. So maybe they will. But I, I, this is going to be a fascinating marketing dilemma.
2: I think there's a great a lot of people from, are going to go see this not sober. <laughs>
1: I can tell you
4: this. I I watched this and I saw the comment a lot of this is nightmare fuel. And I was like, nah, this is like hallucinogenic weed inducing fuel. That's what this is. Like, this is, (laughs) this is something to get high to and go to the movie theater and watch. Like, this is, and I, and I thought it was going to be weird to begin with because it was Tom Hooper.
3: (laughs) Which is cats though. Yeah, that's cats. Cats is like an ass. It is like a hallucinogenic, like bad acid trip on some level. It's. I mean like the most basic plot I think I could try to describe is these cats are trying to volunteer themselves to go into the next life, which is them dying really so that's kind of cats that's they're all like volunteering themselves they want to be but don't
4: they have nine lives
3: yeah, and they want to go on to the next one, which is them kind of dying I guess like it's all about interpretation, so that's the basic plot of cats, which is kind of messed up if you think about that, so making it's also- it's a bunch
2: of cats introducing themselves, which is why I am utterly delighted by the fact that Jason Derulo is in this. Why? Because every song, he does that, like, Jason Derulo right at the beginning. And so yeah. for him to be in this musical where, like, every song is another cat introducing itself is just delightful.
4: So like, what? He's going to come up on the stage and he's going to be like,
2: Rum Tum Tugger. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's the song. Every song
0: is somebody's name. Like, Rum Tum Tugger. It's just, yeah, it's a mess. Mongo
5: Jerry and Teaser. so
4: I took this out of my visual effects uh, predictions after I saw the trailer uh, because I do believe it's going to get panned by critics I don't think it's going to be received positively (laughs) so I I, but however one thing that did strike me uh, and I think that this is the only element of the film that uh, might be real it looked to me like the production
5: design was actually real you saw it was real in the behind the scenes footage you saw the actors running up and down the sets
2: had not if we had not seen that like featurette i would not think that this was real but having seen the featurette i'm like oh okay they actually built things yeah
5: yeah
4: so maybe production (laughs) design obviously there's probably an original song that was written for the movie that will contend i'm sure because that's just the way these things
5: tend to go Uh, beyond that
2: razzies razzies yeah (laughs) there's
5: a great quote here from uh hal prince the great broadway producer and director and he's talking about the first time that Andrew Lloyd Webber played the score of Cats. And it says here, I looked at him curiously and said, Andrew, I don't understand. Is this about English politics? Are these cats Queen Victoria, Gladstone, Disraeli? He looked at me like I'd lost my mind. And after the longest pause, he said, Hal, this is just about cats.
3: Which is why it won't work on film. Yep. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Josh Parham, you've been
6: you've been quiet. Oh, I've just been enjoying the discourse. (laughs) 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 To be honest with you, I'm not familiar a ton with Cats, the musical. Um, I know a little bit about Andrew Lloyd Webber's other stuff, and I have mixed feelings on it. And I don't have mixed feelings about Tom Hooper. (laughs) They're pretty strong, so I'm not really preparing for this to be a great movie, but... I do admit to having a morbid curiosity to it. I've seen that trailer many, many times now, and I can't stop watching it. So I'll probably still be there watching it on opening day with everybody else just to see what on earth has been birthed onto the screen.
2: Has anyone else been, like, very excited to share this trailer with other people? Like, I sat my dad down, and I was like, you're going to watch this trailer. Oh, yes. And, like, watching people react to this trailer is so good.
5: (laughs) Watching the discourse break out Thursday afternoon was so interesting because, like I had mentioned, I stayed at the office to watch this trailer just because I wanted to see how everybody reacted. And the first three reactions I saw were from like Broadway Twitter, and they were actually like, pretty excited and strong. I'm like, "Oh well, well, of course
4: they YouTube would be. It's this. Broadway." Wait.
5: And then I got in my car and went home and checked Twitter half an hour later, and all hell broke loose. There's like that <laughs> gif of the guy walking into the room on fire.
4: Yeah, this is not a Broadway show. It's a it's a movie a
5: movie.
2: Okay, yeah, but Matt, don't think that the Broadway community is accepting this, because they are largely not.
5: (laughs) No, and of course they weren't. It was like, it just happened to be the first thing that I saw was someone who just happened to be positive on it. I'm like, oh, this is what the discourse is going to be, and then it totally took a right-hand turn (laughs) after that.
4: So, needless to say,
5: yeah. We will be there December 25th, probably December 24th, even. We want to see this as early as possible. (laughs) Get
1: your Uh, meat now.
4: Mm-hmm. I, I'll I will I will definitely be seeing this uh early and I will let you all know. Um, we can't
3: say,
5: wait though, to see it. Let's stress that again. We cannot oh, yeah. wait to see what this
3: Yeah, is. we're all interested. Yeah, I just worry about it's
4: the other thing that like kind of bothers me about this is that whether you like him or not, Tom Hooper has a directorial style. And I feel like that was completely lost in this.
6: Wouldn't that be
4: a good thing this time? <laughs> well, that's what I said. Whether you like it or not, and I just didn't see a movie directed by Tom Hooper. I saw Tom Hooper selling out to modern-day technology.
2: Maybe he's afraid to go too close up on that CGI.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
2: <laughs> I I do worry a little bit about its release date, though, because there are other things coming out around that time that I think people, like actually unironically want to see, that I feel like it. it is going to have some, some strong competition. Hello
3: everyone, this is Ryan L. Terry, screenwriting lecturer, film critic, and yeah, even figure skater. Known by my monikers Podstitute and Podhopper, you may have heard me on some of your favorite shows such as Mike, Mike & Oscar, One Movie Punch, In Session Film, Blockbuster Mentality, Movie Geek & Proud, Just So You Know, and more and I would love to sit down with you on your show. Whether we are talking about my area of expertise, the American horror film, chatting about what we are watching on TV, or diving deep into a classic or underrated film, I would love to make time for you. You can follow me on Twitter at rlterry1 and on my blog at rlterryrealview.com. That's real with two E's. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. So...
4: Moving away from cats, uh, we look towards the uh, fall film festivals. We had some announcements this week. We got two openers. Uh, we know the TIFF opener for the Toronto International Film Festival is going to be Once We're Brothers, uh, Robbie Robertson and the Band musical documentary. And the Venice opener is going to be The Truth from Hirokazu Kureda, uh who last year gave us Shoplifters. This one's starring uh, Catherine Dene- uh, Deneuve, uh, Julia Binoche, even Hawke, and Ludovine Sagnier. So, we should be hearing, I think, obviously more to come on that front uh, in regards to what will be added as the MYFF opening film and more additions to um, the various film festivals, except for Telluride. You don't ever find that out until the day of. So that's mm-hmm. going to be fun. Uh, let's move over to questions. Fan questions this week. We have a lot. Jeffrey Kerr asks, can you see the music branch of the Academy denying Spirit from the Lion King an Oscar nomination for Best Original Song just like they did Evermore from Beauty and the Beast?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think if any song's going to compete, it's uh, the Elton John one that plays over the credits, and I don't even think that's a given.
4: Lewis Anderson asks, with Marvel San Diego Comic-Con just wrapping up, are you happy with the casting and how they reveal Blade? Plus, what other upcoming MCU films are you most excited for coming in Phase 4?
2: I'm most excited for Thor 4, especially with Natalie Portman on.
4: I'm just happy there is a four-four, considering that (laughs) four-four, considering that Iron Man and uh, Captain America movies are no more. It's like I I love that Chris Hemsworth was able to retool that character and bring him new life. And I, I was genuinely afraid we weren't going to get more Thor movies.
3: Yeah, I'm glad that he's breaking the trilogy rule. Yeah, and you know we can go beyond that, so it's not just like once you hit three, you're done. And I. If someone like would have won, you know the Marvel Comic Con for me, I really would say it's either you know Natalie Portman or Elizabeth Olsen because with Wand Division and then Scarlet Witch is also going to be in Doctor Strange too, and it's called the Multi-Universe of Madness, and that's kind of hinting at a little House of M, if anyone knows, you know those comic book stories, which is when Scarlet Witch goes a little crazy and she. And that could also be the way we could introduce mutants and X Men into the comic, into the MCU. Mm-hmm. So I think that whole storyline with Scarlet Witch could be really exciting, and I'm really excited to see what they do with this character.
2: I think overall, and we're somehow this... getting Paul Bettany back, so yeah. I'm very intrigued to see how that occurs. <laughs> yeah,
4: Richard Houlihan asks. Tom Hooper's last three films won acting Oscars, respectively. I know the Academy tends to overlook motion capture performances, but are you predicting Hooper's version of Cats to receive at least one acting nomination? Uh, The answer is no, Richard. However, if there was one person in the cast, just for devil's advocate here, who do you think it would be, people?
3: Ian Hudson. I feel like Hudson would try to campaign, but I don't think she's going to get it.
4: Yeah, I think it would
1: be McKellen, I think.
3: Yeah, I would say Ian McKellen.
4: I'm going with Jennifer Hudson.
5: See, what they should have done is they should have had Anne Hathaway and Alicia Vikander sing Macavity together. (laughs) That would have been a nomination, double nomination right there.
4: (laughs) Michael jokes strike again. Adam Clay asks, which film from Disney is more likely to get a Best Picture nomination? And don't you dare say none, people. Pick one. Avengers Endgame or Toy Story 4? Neither. Don't say neither. I
0: had to pick one. A nomination? Yes. I guess Avengers Endgame. Yeah, I'd say Avengers even though... Boy. Yeah. (laughs)
6: Yeah, I would say that, and this might surprise you, Matt, if given the choice between these two, I probably would say Endgame, but that is me saying it's a difference between like 0.01% and 0.02%. So there you go.
5: Yeah. You know which Disney film will get the nomination? There are two, actually. Ford versus Ferrari and Jojo Ravs. <laughs> there you go. I
4: still believe it can still happen
2: I, today. I, I wouldn't I rule it out.
4: And that yeah, that's what I mean. I'm not ruling it out. I don't. I'm not predicting it right now, but I'm not ruling it out.
2: Yeah, okay. I'm with you. you. Can
6: keep doing that.
4: Ew. Dot two four eight zero asks: Did the Meh critical reaction to the Lion King make the box office results slightly less than it would have been? One hundred ninety to two hundred estimates are phenomenal, but I would have thought that it would have been something say like two hundred and fifty or two twenty
5: it's pretty much in line with what I've thought in recent weeks. I know when we first saw the recent trailer weeks is the key
4: phrase there, there
5: were, th- there were thoughts around November that this could end up like maybe the highest grossing movie ever. But I think as we got closer and saw how people were reacting to, you know, the way that the lions were looking and the way that they talked, you know, it just became clear that it wasn't going to be the type of movie, but I mean, Almost $200 million opening weekend is absolutely nothing to scoff at. You know, that's yep. pretty outstanding. So I think it's pretty much in line with how some of us were seeing this over the last month or so.
4: Hey, John, if you're listening right now, the answer is yes. <laughs> Jacob <laughs> Allen uh, at Jake Loves X-Men. Okay. Do you think any of Marvel's latest title releases could be fake? Like when they announced uh, Captain America's Serpent Society.
3: No, if it was fake, he would have done it during the lineup, like what he did with Serpent Society.
6: Yeah, I think they're sort of past that now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They've already announced
5: the cast for a lot of these and the director. I don't think they're just going to pull the rug out like that.
3: Yeah, there might be more to certain casts that we don't know yet. Like There might be more people in some of the movies or some of the TV shows, but I think the names are there to stay.
4: Uh, James Robert Scott asks, if the Irishmen's VFX are well received, what will win the Oscar, Vess or the Lion King?
0: Probably Irishmen, if they're that good. You know, I feel like that would be obviously more of a bigger Oscar player than the Lion King overall. And I think. Does that it have to be one some- of those two?
4: This is the
6: question.
2: Out of those, I'd say the Irishmen, but I'm not positive it would be either
1: one.
6: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure either, because to be honest with you, I am still shaky on whether or not the Irishman is going to look that great anyway.
1: Yeah. I I think the proof is in the pudding on that. We'll just have to see, um, you know, is it that impressive that it would stand out? And I'm not quite sure. We'll see. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
4: Logan Van Winkle asks, what are the chances that we see more than one woman in the best director category this year? Depends on the reception, but to me it seems far more possible than ever before. We have Lulu Wang, Lemons, Heller, Matsukis, and Gerwig with awards-friendly contenders.
2: I think yeah. that we could get more than one. And I I think
4: it's possible. It's yeah. possible.
2: I so hope, and I'm going to stay optimistic.
4: Yeah. yeah, as of today, you know? <laughs> Well, we'll see how the fall film festivals all go on. But as of today, yeah, I, th- I think it's possible. Uh, in honor of Robin Williams' birthday, which of his performances is your favorite? This one comes from Movie Fanatic 200.
6: Ooh. Ooh.
5: Oh, he was the best.
6: That's so hard. You know, when I saw this question, for some reason, the first one that just jumped into my mind was Mrs. Doubtfire. And I do it's a movie that I actually haven't really thought about too much, but I don't know, for some reason, it's the first one that came to my mind, and he is so great in it, and it is just a tremendous performance from him, and it really is one of his best.
5: I'm going to yeah. join you there, Josh. I think he's one of the great actors of the 20th century, honestly. When we uh, have our little nerd-out moments in the group chat uh, for Next Best Picture, we'll talk about like actors who we give multiple Oscar nominations to over the years, Robin Williams is someone who I'd give like close to 10 nominations to over his career. I think he was just extraordinary at both comedy and drama. But when you find that one pitch-perfect role, I think Mrs. Doubtfire is it.
3: Yeah, I I'll agree. He's I think, is one of the most talented actors of his generation. But the first movie that popped into my mind was Hook, for some reason. I loved mm-hmm. that movie. It had a big influence on me as a child. It didn't get the love it deserved when it did come out. But it's just something about, like, he was Peter for me. And it was a really cool way to see that character. And I think, like, it could still make me laugh to this day. It could still make me cry to this day. And I literally will just believe everything that that is, you know, Peter Pan. And it's magic. And I think Robin Williams was magic.
2: My initial thought... And I think it is probably my answer was Dead Poet Society because I think that that was just very formative for me. But I also have to say, like, this is one of my favorite Robin Williams things. The thing that always gets me is um, him in Night at the Museum as Teddy Roosevelt. Just brings me <laughs> so much joy,
6: like, <laughs> truly
2: so much joy. And I wish that we'd gotten to see him do like a proper Teddy Roosevelt biopic or something because I think that he actually would have been so good doing that role. You know, in a in a more uh, full-out version.
0: Yeah, as much as I love him in Good Will Hunting and that being his Oscar win, I do think I would have to echo the sentiments of Mrs. Doubtfire of this lead comedic and dramatic tour de force performance. But honestly, you could name so many, like we've said, and it wouldn't be a wrong answer.
4: I actually was always surprised of the darker roles that he took on uh, because it was so unlike the person that you saw in the comedies and also the person that you saw on the talk shows and any interviews that he gave, you know, he in life, like in general, always just seemed to be this exuberant person that when you saw him do something like, say, one hour photo or insomnia or world's greatest dad, it was like, this can't be the same guy. And that I thought was a testament to just what an incredible actor he was to Michael's point, one of the best I think that we have ever seen in our lifetime. is I mean, I i challenge anyone to tell me from a comedic standpoint especially who was a funnier actor than Robin Williams. I mean...
5: Uh, he has it. Yeah. You know, you look at stuff going back to, you know, he starts with Popeye, World According to Garp. then he goes on to work with Paul Mazursky, Moscow on the Hudson, and then you see him in the 90s to Mrs. Doubtfire and The Birdcage. He had just such range. That always brought that something special to each and every role, even in those lesser movies. Like Patch Adams is nothing great, but he just you know has that Robin Williams charm to him that really you know makes that movie something that people still talk about twenty years later.
1: And I think that uh, his voice work in Aladdin is one is if not one of the best, the best that I've seen comedically in a um, animated film. You would not see
5: celebrities in animated movies today if it weren't for him. There would be no Eddie Murphy in Shrek. There would no, yeah. you know, everything you've seen after that. It's all because of Robin.
4: Yeah, just to make a plug here, there's a good video essay by Lindsay Ellis on that uh, topic there, where his inclusion in Aladdin fundamentally changed um, the marketing and the strategies behind animated films, really forever. Uh, before that, you never saw big name actors cast in animated films. Period.
5: Read the book, by the way, by Dave Itzkoff, Robin, the biography that came out last year. Really worth checking out.
4: Yeah, I miss him. I, I, I miss him a lot. Him and yeah. him, him and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, I miss yeah. tremendously. I miss
2: him and, and Alan Rickman so much.
4: Oh, i miss Alan Rickman too. Oh, guys, guys, we got. We, let's go before we all start crying. Seriously, <laughs>
5: <laughs> this is too much. Five years. It's hard to believe.
4: Oh gosh. Ah, all righty. Well, Michael, where can I find you on the internet?
5: You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95.
4: Nicole Ackman.
2: I am at NicoleAckman16.
4: Casey Lee Clark.
3: You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark.
4: Lauren LaMagna.
3: You can find me on Twitter at Lauren LaMango.
4: Joshua Parham.
6: I'm on Twitter at JR Parham.
4: And last but not least, he actually, it's funny, he's always at the end, so I always like imagine like Tom gets like the uh, special and <laughs> also starring credit, you know, <laughs> like at the agent. end. Yeah. Thank you, man. <laughs> Tom O'Brien, where can they find you? You
1: could find me on Twitter
4: at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 152 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Tune, and Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Write us a comment. Rate us five stars. It's very, very important to help uh, to have people discover us. And if you're feeling generous, I don't over to Patreon where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Just to give you a little bit of a preview of that. We have our part two of big little Eye season two discussion coming up there. We're going to also be doing podcast reviews of the Revenant and the hateful eight to wrap up July. And then we have some really exciting stuff coming in August as well. So be on the lookout for all of that. Thank you so much for listening. As always, and we shall see you all next time. is dog going to come on the show or
5: he voted for Oliver and company
6: (laughs) lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
0: lucky in line at the deli i guess Uh aha in my dentist's office